beginning to look a lot like Christmas Everywhere you go Take a look at the five and ten Listening once again With candy canes and silver lanes aglow It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas Toys in every store But the prettiest sight to see Is the holly that will be on your own front door A pair of hop-along boots and a pistol that shoots as the wish of Barney and Ben That was awesome. I don't know if you remember if you were here last year. They brought so much energy that the fire alarm went off last year. Luckily, they toned it down just a little bit. But man, do you guys realize how amazing it is to have a G-Kids director who doesn't get paid a dime uh, get it, stand up here and get so passionate about things that she, like, can't even speak? <laughs> She's... Um, She's actually a really good public speaker, <laughs> but her passion is, is so high that uh, she can't even get two words out. That's just, I, I'm uh, very grateful to have her, so you tell her thank you. Um, but the kids were awesome. Thank you guys for coming. If this is your first time here, just kind of here to check out the kids. My name's Adam. I'm the lead pastor here. Uh, and what we're doing today is we're closing out a series uh, called Ideal Family. How do I deal with my real family, and we're going to talk about the youngest members of the family, uh, the kids. And this is a kind of a hard subject for me to tackle because I know there's at least a percentage of the room uh, that doesn't have kids at all, right? So some of you are sitting here going, okay, so this isn't for me. Um, and it causes some pastors to maybe shy away from talking about kids. And uh, I, I think we can all acknowledge, whether you have kids or not, that this is a really important subject. If you're a parent, parenting your kid might be the most important thing that you do in your life. So I think it's something worth talking about. So if you have kids today, you're in. This is going to be good, I hope. Uh, if you uh, don't have kids yet and you plan on having kids, well, then take notes. This is going to be important for you later. If you already did the king th kid, kid thing and you're moving on to the grandkid thing, I think the principles that we're talking about today uh, will apply to that as well. Uh, and if you don't have kids, never plan on having kids, don't want anything to do with kids, you're cool, take a nap. Uh, <laughs> No, what you should do is take notes and tell the, your friends who do have kids what to do. They love it when people who don't have kids give them advice, I promise. Uh, so I have three kids, uh, three kids, um, Trinity, Gideon, and Ezekiel. And uh, isn't it crazy, I don't know if you, if you have more than one kid, how your parenting kind of changes as you go from one to two uh, to three. I got a, a couple of ways it happens. Now, I didn't write these. I'm not taking credit for this, uh, especially if you're offended. I'm not taking credit for this. Somebody else wrote them. Uh, so so as things go, uh, your first baby, uh, maternity clothes, okay? Somebody else wrote this. Somebody else wrote this. Uh, as soon as the OBGYN tells you you're pregnant, you put on those maternity clothes, right? Um, I don't even have any screen. What is happening? This one's blank. All right. You'll have to listen to the voice. Are you going to fix it? Hi, Bob. <laughs> it's the power button. Did you try turning it on and off again? This is Bob. Bob is also another guy who does a lot in our church. Um, he made the screen stand straight up and be 20 feet in the air without it falling over. Good job, Bob.
let's just see what happens. Are you guys interested? Hit output and you'll be good. Good job, Eric. What I was talking about was maternity clothes. And it was, this is supposed to be funny, so hopefully you can get into this. First baby, you put maternity clothes on as soon as the OBGYN tells you you are pregnant. Second baby, uh, you wear your regular clothes as long as possible. Your third baby, your maternity clothes are your regular clothes. <laughs> My wife's like, that is not true. That is not true. I said, but it's still funny. Okay, so when you go out, first kid, uh, call home every five minutes just to check in, right? Hey, how's the, how's the baby? How's the baby? Uh, second kid, you remember to leave a number right as you walk out the door. Like, oh yeah, you probably might need this. Third kid, uh, you leave strict instructions to the center to only call if there is blood and there'd better be a lot, right? Like if a Band-Aid can cover it, we're good. Just leave us alone. Um, last one, swallowing coins. First kid, man, you rush to the emergency room, make sure they get x-rays, you're watching everything. Second one, you just calmly wait for it to pass, you know. Third kid, definitely take it out of their allowance, right? <laughs> like, you can't, come on, like you can't keep that. Uh, good, I'm happy you guys thought those were funny. Um, so here's the deal, I have three kids, but they're, they're eight, six, and one. Uh, so I'm not going to preach this message from a place where uh, I'm like pretending to be some kind of expert. My oldest one isn't even half done yet. You know what I'm saying? So uh, I'm not standing up here like, man, I got kids. One's a doctor. One's a school teacher. You know, one's a firefighter. I'm going to tell you how to do this. I'm not doing that. Uh, I don't, I don't want to pretend uh, to be some kind of expert. My kids uh, leave messes everywhere. Uh, they fight. They disobey. The little one screams a lot. Um, I'm not gonna act like I have it all figured out. But what I do wanna do today is I wanna hold up four principles from the Bible uh, and apply them to parenting. Because here at Mosaic, we uh, value the Bible. Uh, we believe that God inspired the Bible. These are like the words of God. Uh, and we try to live our lives by the principles that the Bible teaches. So uh, we just believe it's the best way to live. So we're gonna look at what the Bible has to say about parenting, four principles of parenting. They're not the top four, I'm just gonna be out one of them Top one, the other ones, uh, I just kind of made some observations in my own parenting and in some of the parenting uh, that I see and, and stuff that I think would be helpful. So uh, I am preaching it to myself as much as I am to you. So let's pray and then let's dig into this. Lord Jesus, I thank you for every single person here. I thank you for these kids that were just up on this stage uh, and that you have entrusted them to us. Um, I pray that we would, uh, every person in here, Lord, all the, all the parents, all the aunts, all the uncles, all the grandparents, uh, that they would... Um, feel the weight of their influence on these kids in this next generation and that we would be drawn to uh, doing things the way you want us to do them. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. <coughs> That's better. First principle is found in Luke chapter two, uh, verse 46 and 47. These verses that we're gonna look at, they're some of the only verses that we have that actually record uh, something about Jesus when he was a kid. Uh, you know, we obviously have the birth story, we'll talk about that next week, and then you have a ton about him when he was uh, an adult, but you only have like this one story from when Jesus is a kid, and I'm not, I don't have time to read the whole thing, but let me just give you a quick backstory. Uh, Mary and Joseph go to uh, Jerusalem, and they do their thing, and then they leave, and when they leave, they forget Jesus. Uh, talk about like the worst possible parenting thing you can do. God's up in heaven going, really? Like I can't just leave my son with you? And they forget him. So they go back and uh, they have to find him. And they only had one kid. Like it's acceptable to lose one when you have three, but like one, it's your only kid. 
Um, so here's what happens, verse 46. Three days later, they finally discovered him, three days later, finally discovered him in the temple, sitting among the religious leaders, listening to them and asking questions. All who heard him were amazed at his understanding at his ans- and his answers. Uh, so Jesus here is a boy in the temple. He's listening and he's asking questions and he's interacting with these, these church leaders. So um, I find it interesting that Jesus is listening and asking questions. How many of you, your kids ask questions? How many of you, hold on, how many of you, your kids ask 8,000 questions a day? Yeah, right? Um, it is, if we're honest, uh, massively annoying, right? Uh, that your kids can't stop asking questions. Uh, especially if a kid in the Y stage. I don't have one in the Y stage right now. My niece is in the Y stage, and she asks why, uh, like a machine gun, man. It's crazy. And it can be annoying, right? So here's our first principle. It's going to grate against, uh, if you get annoyed with your kid asking questions, it's going to grate against you. But the first principle I want to give you here is to foster curiosity in your kids. Foster curiosity in your kids. You want your kids asking questions. You do. Um, curious kids become curious adults if you let them. If you, don't, if you don't crush it out of them, if you don't, uh, by your annoyance, by your refusal to answer the questions, slowly erode away that curiosity. And here's why that's important. Maybe you're like, so what? I just don't want them asking me questions. This is good news. I'm going to get rid of it. Um, do you realize they've done tons of studies on curiosity and uh, curious adults have better relationships because they're, they actually want to know stuff about people in their lives. They actually, curious adults have more empathy towards others because they actually ask questions of people and and understand where somebody else is coming from. Curious adults achieve better in academics and in the workplace because they have to have those questions answered. And uh, just in general, studies have shown that curious adults are generally happier people. They're just generally happier. So, So curiosity is a really important trait and it shows humility. Right? It shows humility that you don't know everything. If you're curious about stuff and you want to know things, then uh, it shows that you, you know, have, a, a, like you're aware that you don't know something. Um, I, know, I know it can be dangerous and I know it can be annoying and I know curiosity killed a cat and I also know that curiosity got Curious George into a lot of trouble. So like we know how this goes, right? But it's worth it. If we can foster curiosity in our kids, they will be better for it. So answer as many questions as you can. Push through the annoyance. Uh, and answer as many as you can. We, we have no excuse not to answer, right? You, you carry a small computer around in your phone at all times. You, you don't have a, an excuse to say, I don't know. Ask Google, man. Google knows everything, right? My son just caught a woolly bear last week. Um, amazingly, in December, he brings this woolly bear in, and it was like a, a rapid-fire question session. Like, how do I know if my woolly bear is a boy or a girl? Uh, what does my woolly bear want to eat? Um, what does my woolly bear do in the wintertime? Like, what, what a kind of butterfly does it turn into? I mean, everything. And I didn't know any of that. I could have been like, dude, leave me alone. Like, go put that thing outside. I don't care. There's snow on the ground. Just get it out of here. Because um, now it's in the house, and we don't know where it is. Um, <laughs> for real. I woke up this morning to a little bowl with, like, leaves in it and no woolly bear. Um, But I know all the answers now. I know that uh, the girl woolly bears are a little longer than the boy woolly bears. I know that they like clover is their favorite food that you could also give them lettuce uh, in a bowl. Um, They have a little bit of antifreeze in their blood and they actually hibernate in the winter and then they wake back up in the spring and they turn into tiger moths. And I'm like, here you go, this is what they look like. And I I try to foster that, right? I I get to learn with them. Like I know all kinds of things about woolly bears now because of my son's curiosity and I don't want to crush that. I don't want to crush that and neither do you. So foster that curiosity, model curiosity in your own life, man. Ask a lot of questions, Google stuff. Don't always answer with an answer. Sometimes answer with questions, like lead them to the answer, like get them excited to go on those journeys to find out things. 
Help them figure out how to find the answer. Whatever you do, don't kill it. Don't kill it in the moment because you're annoyed. Uh, Don't squash that. They'll need it later. So foster curiosity. That's your first principle. Second principle is found in Ephesians 5. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So what this verse says is that unwise people don't make the most of their time. Foolish people uh, don't order their lives according to priority. That's what this verse is saying. Uh, that, that an unwise, a foolish person will just kind of live and just kind of figure things out as they go. So your second principle is to be intentional with your schedule. To be intentional with your schedule. Um, I know in the world we live, this is so hard to do. Um, every single like, thing that your kid gets involved in, whoever's in charge of that thing, thinks that that thing should be your whole life, right? Is anybody, like, with me? Like, if it's flag football, if it's uh, some kind of singing thing, some kind of, it, it's like that should be the thing, and everybody pulls uh, to make their thing the thing. But you're gonna have to be intentional with your schedule um, if you wanna do this thing right. It's kind of like a budget with your money. You have a budget, right? You totally do. Um, you don't just walk into the store and buy whatever you want. Right? You can, I know it's maybe like it's Christmas, man. <laughs> I just do the card thing, or no, it's the chip. I don't know which one. Um, even if you know that you have money in your bank account, you may know that that money is supposed to go somewhere else, so you don't necessarily spend it even if you have it. And I think time is the same way. You need to know how much time you have, you need to know where that time is going. You need to have decided ahead of time like how you're gonna make these decisions. You and your spouse need to sit down and be like, okay, this is how, when we are faced with a decision, this is how we're gonna decide if we do this. Our kid's gonna be involved in one extracurricular activity at a time, or maybe two. And even if you have a free night, it doesn't mean fill it up. Maybe you need to consider what you should do with that free night before you just automatically fill the void. And I know that there is at least a small percentage of you in this room who have a hard time saying no to things. I know it. I'm not going to make you raise your hand. If I asked you to raise your hand, you'd have no choice. You'd just do it because you can't say no. Um, (laughs) But you need to realize if you have a hard time saying no to something, um, that every time you say yes to one thing, you're saying no to something else anyways. Even if the the words don't come out of your mouth, the moment you say yes to one thing, you're saying no to, to anything else that could go in that slot. So I guess maybe that's scary to you. Like, oh my gosh, I'm saying no and I didn't even know it. You are. You are. Um, so, so get over it and, and instead be more intentional with your nose. Grow a little bit of a backbone. Say no to some things because you can't say yes to everything. You can't say yes to everything. Look at this verse. This is, this is for the crazy busy people. Psalm 39.6. We are merely moving shadows and all our busy rushing ends in nothing. Nothing. We gotta slow down. And check this out. Dad's. Cornell University did a study uh, and found out, you're not going to believe this, the average father spends seven minutes a day with his kids. Seven. Uh, Guessing they don't count the amount of time you spend where the kids are watching TV and you're staring at your phone. They probably didn't count that. You probably shouldn't either. And get this, it's even worse if you have a preschooler, a preschool age kid. They said the average dad spends 37.7 seconds with a preschool age kid. I don't know how they get the point seven. Must be a really, really detailed study. But what this is saying is, dads, we're not spending much, enough time with our kids. I don't think he's gonna cut it, right? 
I don't think we can spend seven minutes a day with our kids and then complain how they're turning out. You know what I'm saying? We need to be a little bit more consistent. If we're gonna complain about how they're turning out, we need to invest more time in our kid's life. If you wanna be the main influencer in your kid's life, it's going to require time. And I really believe that quality time flows out of quantity of time. Quality time flows out of quantity time. I mean, think about this. Maybe you're better at this than me, but you can't just decide to sit down and have a deep conversation with your kid, can you? Because if you can, you need to teach me because it never works that way, right? You can't just decide, okay, this is quality time. That wasn't, but not starting now. This is quality time, okay? Tell me your deepest, darkest fears. Like, it doesn't work that way, right? How was school? Good. Did you learn anything? No. Okay, good talk, son. Like, see you later. Like, that's, that's it, right? And then even when you try to plan a game night, like, you have this idea of how it's going to go in your head, right? Like, oh, we're going to have fun. We're going to laugh. No, they're fighting. You're annoyed. Nobody wants to play the same game. It's a mess, right? You can't just decide this is going to be quality. It's going to, quality time is going to flow out of quantity of time. We've had those uh, shallow, um, how was school, good, what'd you learn, nothing, conversations at the dinner table, and then two hours later in the night, our daughter will open up about something that happened with all their friends, and it was a huge deal, and she felt this way, and she did this, and it didn't happen when I wanted it to, it happened later, and I just needed to be there when it happened. Your kid's heart kind of only opens up at certain times, and you don't get to decide when that happens, you just need to be there when it does. So I think uh, there's just a level of quantity of time that you need to actually experience the quantity of time. Um, Side note, I'm uh, going for, with this part, amens from the grandparents. This is my goal. Um, Parents, be intentional about your, your parents getting quantity of time with your kids. Be intentional about that. Yeah, see? Come on. Get better at this. And in all seriousness, think about this. Um, I love my parents. And <laughs> plug yours, mom. They're not going to be around forever. Know what I'm saying? Like, and like, I want my kids to be able to remember having time with their parents. Like, and and I, I want them to experience that and have good memories with that. I'm going to be over, uh, get my kids around my, my parents as much as I possibly can. And let me say this. So, so uh, counterpoint to what I just said. If you're a parent, make sure your kids get around your parents as much as possible. Let the grandparents be grandparents. Grandparents, be grandparents, okay? Um, don't say amen right now, anybody. But just be a grandparent. Just spoil the kids. You don't have to be the parent. You don't have to be a parent. And, and maybe what you need to realize is because you're trying to be the parent, the, the actual parent doesn't want to bring the kids around as much because it kind of causes this weirdness. Maybe this is what you need to realize, okay? And I know some of you are like, but I'm supposed to. I watch them all the time. Maybe you need the opposite, I know. <laughs> There's some of you in here who are like that, but just be the grandparent, man. Just spoil them. My mom has this thing called Nana Snacks where the kids get uh, like a tiny bit of crackers, a tiny bit of pretzels, and like M&Ms and chocolate chips and marshmallows and another kind of marshmallows. And I'm like, when I asked for a snack Growing up, it was like, here's some pretzels. Like, and now it's like, it's, but whatever, like, that's awesome. The other morning, Nana, the other grandma, was, was uh, at the house as the kids were getting ready and they, they didn't have their lunch boxes all the way filled up. And she's like, here, take some powdered donuts. And I'm like, okay, you know, whatever. Bye, guys. Like, but I love that. Like, I'm just going to let the grandparents be the grandparents. Like, you don't have to worry about all the stuff. You did that already. Just enjoy the kids. Just be there. Have that time. You got to figure out a way to 
to make that happen without any tension because it is worth gold. I want my kids to be able to stand up one day and say, man, I remember Nana, I remember Papa, and here's the impact they had in my life. I want that. I want that. So I'm going to shoot for it. All right, so that's your second principle. You're going to have to be intentional. Uh, first principle, foster curiosity. Second principle, uh, we need to be intentional about our schedules. Third principle is found in Matthew 19. Um, one day, some parents brought their children to Jesus so he could touch them and bless them, but the disciples scolded the parents for bothering him. When Jesus saw what was happening, he was angry with his disciples, and he said to them, let the children come to me. Don't stop them, for the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. So uh, parents are trying to bring kids to Jesus. The disciples are like, hold up, this dude's busy. Are you serious, kids? Nah. He's got important things to do. And when Jesus sees them do that, he actually gets mad at them and says, wait, this is what it's all about. Let them come to me. Let them come to me. So let me ask you this. In, in this story, uh, whose attitude more closely re like reflects yours when it comes to your kids? The disciples or Jesus' attitude? Who, who are you more like? The disciples who are scolding and not wanting to be bothered or Jesus who's like, no, 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 come on. Let me ask it this way. When your kids ask for something, to do something, what is your ratio of no's to yeses? How many times are you saying no versus how many times are you saying yes? And I know that's not a fair question, right? Because if you said yes to everything your kids asked for, they would be dead and you'd be in jail. I know, I have a six-year-old son. It would absolutely be true. He would not be here anymore if I said yes to all the crazy things that he asks for. We have a woolly bear loose in the house. Like, that's just a small, mild example um, but here's your, your third principle. Say yes as often as you can to your kids. Say yes as often as you can. And listen, this is, this is the crazy part. This is the counterintuitive part. But when you do this, your nose will then carry more weight. If you say yes as often as you can, your nose are going to have a little bit more weight to them because uh, if you say no too much, it starts to lose its impact. It becomes white noise to your kid. They don't know if you're saying no to something that matters or no to something that doesn't really matter. You just don't want to do it. They can't differentiate. So say yes as often as you can and your nose will actually carry more weight. And I know that's not a black and white thing and I know you have reasons for saying no to every single thing you say no to. I know that. But don't you think we can, as parents, get into a no rut? You know, you just kind of get into that rut where you're just saying no, 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 no. And if we're really honest, our reasons sometimes are lame. I just don't want to get up off the couch and get that thing out of the top cupboard for you right now. Please don't go climb up there yourself. No, no, no. But think about this. 10 to 15 years from now, when your kids are leaving, you know, like when those taillights are pulling away from your house, they're going to college, they're going to live with a buddy. Do you think you'll be sitting there wishing, man, I wish I'd said no more? Or do you think maybe the opposite's gonna be true? Maybe you're gonna be sitting there going, man, I, I could have said yes more. We could have done more of those things. I could have done more of what they asked because it was just little stuff. It was just stuff, you know, in the moment it was annoying, in the moment I was tired, in the moment I, was, I just didn't want to, but now looking back, man, I wish I would have had a better yes to no ratio in that relationship. I guarantee that's how you feel. So say yes as often as you can. Me and my wife help each other with this. Um, I think I told you a couple weeks ago, like if, if my wife gets into a no rut and I can see it because I'm not in the rut and, and she's in it, um, if it's safe, I will call her 
uh, you, know, you know, the difference, right? Gentlemen, you have to be smart about this. You know, there's some times where you don't say anything. You just slowly back out of the room and let her handle things. Actually, you pretend that you weren't in the room because if she yells for your name, you're like, no, I was going to go do something. Um, in those situations, you keep your mouth shut. But if you can tell um, that it's safe, I'll, I'll call her NFL, no fun Lisa. Um, and it's just a little, and it's a, it's a joke. I'm not, I'm not stupid with it. I'm not trying to be obnoxious. But it's a little joke to just say, hey, why are you saying no? Why, why are we doing, what, why? Why can't they do that? Um, she does the same thing to me, but NFA doesn't have the same ring to it. So uh, I'm usually the one saying it. But uh, help each other with this. Say yes as often as you can. I'm telling you, if you're having like difficulty with a kid um, who, who doesn't like your nose, it's counterintuitive, but tries to say yes more and your nose will actually matter more. So say yes as often as you can. Foster curiosity, intentional about your schedule. Say yes as often as you can. Uh, last major principle here is found in Joshua 24, 15. But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. Would you prefer the gods of your ancestors serve beyond the Euphrates, or will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are now live? But as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. If you grew up in church, uh, You've seen that verse often. Some of you maybe have a plaque of it somewhere in your house. Um, but my question is, who does your family serve? Who does your family serve? Might be thinking, nobody. What are you talking about? Um, but it, your family serves somebody or something. You need to decide who or what it's going to be. Um, and I would obviously suggest I'm mildly biased that you choose the Lord, <laughs> that you plant the flag in the ground and say, we are going to be a family who serves the Lord. And this is your fourth principle, uh, and this is it. This is the, the pinnacle. Uh, pass on your faith. Pass on your faith. The most important thing you can do, the most important thing you can pass on to your kids is your faith in Jesus. That's number one. Everything else is a distant second. There's not even a, uh, anything else in the same category because if you are a Christian and you really believe what you say you believe, if you really believe in this heaven and hell, eternity, Jesus on the cross thing, then you have to believe that that is the most important thing for your kid to know and believe. You have to. So let me, I'm going to do something I don't normally do. I'm making four points and I'm going to make three subpoints off of this. So you have to follow me. I'm making three subpoints. Now these are subpoints, not main points, but they're subpoints off of the most important point. Good. Good. You're with me. I can, I can tell. So uh, if you want to pass your faith on to your kids, let me give you three ways uh, you need to do that. First thing is you need to take responsibility for your kids' spiritual development. You need to take responsibility for your kids' spiritual development. How many of you know that there are certain things in your life that you just can't delegate? There are. There's just certain things you can't, right? Like, I wish I could delegate someone else to eat uh, healthy for me, right? Like you, broccoli, for me. You eat the broccoli for me. I will get the nutritional benefit. You have to deal with the taste. I want that, okay? Um, what do you guys like? Bro what are you, broccoli fans over here? You guys don't even, it's like, insulted by this? Broccoli's horrible. I don't care how much cheese you put on it. Stop. Sheesh. Um, but there are certain things you can't delegate, right? You can't delegate the health of your marriage to someone else. You can't delegate your own spiritual health to someone else. There are certain things in your life that you can't delegate. And if you are a parent, 
You cannot delegate the spiritual health, the spiritual development of your children to someone else. As much as I love G-Kids and I love uh, Amanda and what they're doing, I think they're doing an excellent job, but if you leave it solely up to them to develop your child spiritually for one hour a week, (laughs) it's not gonna happen. G-Kids is not even designed to do that. They're not designed to develop your child spiritually. G-Kids is designed to partner with you to help your child develop spiritually. There is no one on the planet more perfectly positioned to help your child along in the faith than you. You are it. So when it comes to passing on your faith, you need to own that. You need to take responsibility for that, that that you uh, develop that part of your kid. That's the first thing. Second thing, what you say and what you do had better line up. What you say and what you do What do you think is more likely to be passed on to your kids? What you say to them or what you do in front of them? What do you think is going to be more likely for for them uh, to carry with them? Your words or your actions? What weighs more? You know this. You can say what you want. Jesus this, God that, Bible, blah, 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 blah. But if you don't live it out, your kids are going to see that. How you live is going to influence your kids way more than what you say. Matter of fact, I would even say this one's so dangerous because the worst possible thing you could do is say one thing and live another. That's the worst. If, if you want to guarantee that your kid does not grow up or, or <laughs> grows up and does not want anything to do with your faith, be a hypocrite. Present a spiritual front to the world that everything's great and, you know, amen this and, and Jesus that, but then as soon as the front door closes, be a completely different person. That'll guarantee they will want nothing to do with your faith. That'll be the most distasteful thing to them ever. You know, for me, like the most important sermons I preach aren't right here on this stage. They're not. The most important sermons I preach are in my living room, at my dining room table, and they're not with words. They're with how I live because I cannot stand up here and tell y'all one thing, live this way, Jesus is this, and then go home and act like a complete tool bag to my family. I can't do that. If I want my kids to want nothing to do with Jesus when they grow up, I can. But if I actually want them to have a real, alive, living relationship with Jesus Christ, I can't do that. How I live matters so much more. It weighs so much more than what I say up here for 35 minutes on a Sunday morning. The same thing's true for you. You can make your speeches, parents. Go ahead, rant, tell them the things they need to know. But man, your life better back it up. Your your words and your actions better actually (laughs) come close to lining up. I mean, they're gonna see it. Kids, way smarter than we give them credit for. Words and your actions better line up if you wanna pass your faith on. Last thing you can do to pass on your faith show grace. Show grace. Put grace on display in your family. This is what Christianity is all about. Grace. If you're not a Christian, uh, this is really important. So if, if you're like not, you're just kind of checking things out, maybe you're just here to see the kids, you're not a Christian, um, this, is, this is really important. Because I think a lot of times people think that Christianity is about being a good person, right? That seems to be a common misconception about Christianity. So if you're not a Christian, you're thinking, oh, Christians, they're just, they're just good people. That's not what Christianity is at all. 
Um, Christianity is ultimately not about what we do, um, but what Jesus did. That's what Christianity is about. A Christian is someone who believes that Jesus came to earth and lived a sinless, perfect life and willingly died on a cross, not for his sins, because he didn't have any, but for our sins as an offering for our sins. He paid for our wrongs. He died for us, even though we didn't deserve it at all. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says this, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. This is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. See, we don't, we don't earn our relationship with God. A Christian is a person who believes that Jesus died on the cross in their place for their sins. A Christian doesn't try to earn God's favor by being good. We were given God's favor because of what Jesus did. He paid for it. We don't. This is what separates Christianity from every other religion on the planet. Instead of us working our way to God, God came down to us. We don't earn God's love. We don't deserve God's love, but he gave it to us. And then what happens? So, so a Christian believes that, that they are a sinner and that they need to be uh, saved. They need some kind of salvation and that Jesus provided that way to have a relationship with God. And we put our faith in what Jesus did on the cross. And then once we do that, and we know that our relationship with God is not based on anything that we did, it's based on what Jesus did. And that is unconditional when we put our faith in him. And once that happens, then Christians do try to live a life that is pleasing to God. We do. A Christian does read the Bible and say, man, I want my life to look like that. Not because we think if we don't, God's gonna somehow hate us or, or he's gonna love us less. We do it because he already loves us and he's already given us everything. It's not from a place of earning. It's from this secure place that we know he already loves us. He already paid for it. Now I just wanna serve him out of gratitude for what he's already done for me. A good Christian, uh, the good that Christians do is in response to the love that God has already given us, not to earn it. So grace, unmerited favor, is what Christianity is all about. And if you're not a Christian, maybe, maybe you've never uh, like made that an official thing. Maybe you've kind of thought, well, I just, I'm a good person, so sure, I'm a Christian. Maybe you've never made that decision. Man, today's the day you can make that decision to put your faith in what Jesus did on the cross and become a Christian and then start this relationship with God. Uh, and I think your life will change forever. So if you haven't done that, man, make that decision today. Now, how do we plug that grace, this thing that we Christians bank on, that God has given us grace and now we can have this relationship with him, how do we plug that into our parenting? How can we display the same grace God showed us to our kids? <laughs> Very carefully, right? The misconception is that to show grace to your kids means you don't discipline your kids. Please don't believe that. Please discipline your children. Uh, please, please discipline your children. Um, we know that showing grace to your kids can't mean not disciplining them because the Bible repeatedly says to discipline your kids. Um, I'm not even gonna make this a point in my sermon. I just assume that you all do discipline your kids. When your kids do something wrong, you discipline, that you're consistent, consistently. You know what I'm saying? I'm just assuming you're doing that. You're good parents. You, you guys know that. Um, but how do we discipline our kids and show them grace? How do we do that? There's like a tension in that. Because we can't not 
give them consequences to stuff, right? If, if they don't clean the room, something has to happen. Otherwise, their room will never, ever, ever get clean, right? If they wait to the last minute to do school projects every single time, we don't give them consequences for that. They're, they're gonna keep doing it. We don't wanna let them turn into adults to do those same things. We have to discipline them. We have to do something. But at the same time, we need to show our kids grace. So uh, I could teach a whole sermon just on this, but let me just give you one thing, and maybe this will be a little bit of a mentality shift for you. Don't say the line... I love you, but go to your room. I love you, but no dessert. I love you, but no more video games today. Don't say that line. No, I love you, but. Instead say, I love you and. I love you and go to your room. I love you and no dessert. I love you and no video games. I love you and is so much better than I love you, but. I love you and is the mentality you need to have, not I love you but. Because, listen, uh, I love you but says, I'm pausing my love for you to discipline you. Uh, my, my love uh, has to be turned off in order to discipline you. My disciplining you actually has, like, comes from a different place than my love. So I love you, but now we're going to do this. Like I have to stop loving to discipline. I love you and says that I'm disciplining you and it actually is flowing out of my love for you. I'm sending you to your room because I love you and I want you to turn to a respectful, kind, functioning adult. (laughs) I love you and. I love you and. That tells your kid that, that the discipline is a necessary component of the love. And the thing that they did doesn't change the love, right? Because that's the, that's the thing. That's the grace. It doesn't matter what your kid does. You're going to love them the same. That's how you can put this, this grace on display that you're not going to push away from them because of what they do. You're going to hold them close and you're going to discipline them. You're going to love them and you're going to teach them how to live. If you can repeatedly send that message, then nothing they do is gonna cause you to push away from them. Nothing. That you loving them is not dependent on the way they act. If you can send that message all day long, you're doing it right. You're succeeding. You're showing grace. You still discipline, but it feels different. You know what I'm saying? It'll have a different flavor to it. So, four principles. Foster curiosity, don't crush that, foster that. Be intentional about your schedule. Say yes as often as you can and pass on your faith to your kids. I guess I'll just end with this, man. Do you realize nothing you do on this planet will impact your world more than, than how you interact with the next generation? Do you realize that? Like you're gonna die someday, all, all, everybody in here is gonna die someday and the, the legacy you leave is gonna be in the kids and the, the, the young, the next generation that you interact with. That's where your legacy lies. If you wanna leave a legacy, if you want uh, to, to impact the world for years after you've been here, invest in that. That's the place to put your investment. Think about this, you are somebody's future past family. Does that make sense? I just said something that sounded like contradicting, but like in the future, you are somebody's past family and they're going to remember you. Like you were this. My aunt, my uncle was this. My grandpa, my grandma was this. My parents were this and now I'm this. 
You are carving out a legacy in how you interact with these kids. Isn't that crazy to think about? Because you have that right now, right? You think back to your parents and your grandparents and the impact they made. And, and eventually, that's going to be you. That's going to be your legacy. And, and, and when you get far enough down the line, they won't even know who you were, but your impact will still be there. You could either set them up to succeed or put them in a hole that they will spend the rest of their lives digging out of. It's up to you. And... Uh, None of us in the room can do this perfect, right? If you think you can, I promise you're screwing up even more <laughs> than anyone else. Um, so I would just say, when it comes to all this, um, you, you need to cry out to God and ask him to help you be uh, the parent that he wants you to be, be the grandparent that he wants you to be, be the aunt, the uncle that he wants you to be. Um, story that pops to mind is that story where God asks uh, King Solomon what he wants. King Solomon's just starting off as king and he's like, God's like, hey, what do you want? And Solomon asks for wisdom. He could have asked for anything in the world. And he says, God, I, I see this great people of yours and I need wisdom. I can't do this. That's the prayer. That's the prayer of every parent. Lord, I need wisdom to do this. I need patience. I, I cannot be uh, the mom, the dad that you want me to be uh, without you. I need you. I need you. I need you. That needs to be our prayer. His parents. All right, that's it. Let's pray.